Hello and welcome to Gamer Stories, a podcast digging for the answer of what makes a gamer, one interview at a time. I'm your host, Zero Ping, and with me is Tim, also known as MacTC7. Tim, welcome to the podcast. Hello. So the reason I brought you on the show is uh, you actually have a couple of interesting projects that you do on the side. Many people might not know this yet, but hopefully this podcast will shed a little light on some of the cool things that you do. Some people might find them cool. (laughs) I'm sure there'll be plenty. So one of the things is music. You've done a lot of kind of solo music projects. Yeah, I've been dabbling for many years. Well, let's get into that. I mean, how did you actually get into creating music? What was your first sort of experience with with doing that? My very first, I mean, beyond probably being eight years old with a Casio keyboard, probably like many people, or a little recorder or tape recorder, uh, came in the form of MTV's music generator for Sony's PlayStation 1. I remixed the great songs such as Beverly Hills Cop theme and uh, you know from there wrote a bunch of my own stuff I still have much of it on mini disc uh, which I can't listen to because I don't have a mini disc player but that was that was my very earliest experience in it well one thing that you did sort of get into you actually got into DJing a little bit yes I did um, I actually booked uh, three of the four planet of the drums acts uh, I'm sorry, Planet of the Drums Tour. That would be Diesel Boy, Dara, DB, and AK-1200, who I never did book, but I did get to open for two of the three at the Robin Hood in Kent. I uh, played um, shows in Atlanta and Cleveland, Akron, locally, Pittsburgh, uh, mostly drum and bass. The drum and bass, uh, is, that, is that like trance or house or... No, it's pretty fast. Uh, some people would refer to it as, you know, jungle. Um, it's 180 BPM, uh, really fast. Uh, drum and bass would be a little more aggressive, I think, in the, the techno scene than some of the other house music, which is what's more like popular dance floor stuff. Awesome. What was one of your best times doing so? Like, what's one of the best experiences that you had? Uh, well, uh, one that sticks out in my mind was uh, playing at... A, I think we called it Tech Syndicate. That was either, it was a friend of mine, Matt, actually did the production. He set it all up. He was running the production company that did it, and that was getting to open for DB in Kent, I believe. And somebody actually mistook me for the headliner, so that was kind of uh, letting me know that my set was at least technically tight, you know, uh, that they were enjoying it. It's It was uh, always a rush to, you know, nail a mix and look up and see you know room full of people you know that was digging your music and and all having a good time so that was probably the best aspect of it uh but getting to meet new people and and travel new places to do things like that in a party environment you know was always fun yeah i can imagine i guess uh one of the things that that would be probably interesting is how did you how did you develop the the skills or the ability to do this like did you just dabble with it or the the turntables in particular or or the music production aspect of it both actually so i don't know i've always had an ear for music um growing up my mom has a grand piano i took a few piano lessons but i was always able to just you know learn songs by ear um and just kind of 
figure them out and play them. Oh, you're one of those people. Yeah. So so I just have an ear for it. It's, it's always come naturally. It's one of those things that kind of came easy to me. As far as the turntables, that was, you know, having an ear for music helped and having a, an ear for rhythm really helped. But my friend Justin Evans, uh, DJ MT40, MT40, <laughs> was a friend of mine in high school. And he had uh, bought a set of Technics 12s and he wanted to be a scratch DJ. So I, I spent a lot of time over at his house. Uh, during these times, and uh, you know, we learned together. We would take turns mixing stuff, learning how to scratch and and mix beats together. Um, some of the finer aspects of DJing were always a mystery to me. Things that like people like you know Mixmaster Mike and Qbert do, which is like beat juggling, very very technical things like that. Uh, never really was able to pick up those up, and those were the things that my friend Justin was really wanting to get into. Um, you know, breaks DJ stuff, the the really, really high technical, difficult stuff is what he was going after. And I, I did more of the, I was wanted my sets to be seamless. Uh, so that's really what I focused on, you know, a smooth transition from one thing to the next. So you have like an hour long set, you know, you don't really ever let the beat stop. I mean, you want it to be as smooth as possible. So I have some some examples of that. I've got some CDs here and there of, of those that I've done. So that that was the style that I was going for. But yeah, it was back in the days of Gran Turismo 2 and uh, watching Dazed and Confused and sitting in Justin's room learning to be a DJ. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so going back to games in general, uh, one other thing that uh, you've done besides your music would be some of the digital art uh, that you've done? Yeah, um, I, I do play with, I use GIMP a lot. I know Photoshop, that's where I started off um, learning how to do art digitally. It's on my dad's Mac. I don't even know what it was. It was pre-G anything Macintosh with Corel Draw and Adobe Photoshop 2 probably. Uh, you know, looking at pictures of the Giver and recreating those and printing them out on a color printer that probably cost a lot of money to buy ink for. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and actually getting into racing games, um, iRacing. I, I spent a lot of time a couple years back doing iRacing. And uh, I found the simulator a lot of fun. I sit up in my attic with triple screen monitors and you know, I've always liked racing games and, and driving these realistic representations of cars and real tracks. And I always was thinking, man, it would be really cool if, if you could paint these, you know, cause I've got some ideas for really cool looking race cars. You know, I remember back when I was 10 years old wanting to, you know, draw on a piece of paper, uh, you know, a formula one car and put my own design on it. And, and I found out, that you could do that. There was actually a dedicated website where you would just upload a TGA file. You know, you could go to the, you could go to their library of documents, download the car template, put your paint on it, upload it, and anybody else who ran that program would see your custom paint rather than the generic one that you select when you were racing online. Because that game, every car that you're up against on the track is a real person. So it was, you know, I was never the fastest person on the racetrack, but I could maybe be in the coolest looking car. So that was something uh, that I did enjoy. 
and it got noticed because uh, people actually started paying me to to paint their cars for them. So I made a little side business out of that for a little while. That's awesome. Now, for those listening, iRacing is not um, not anything to do with like the iPhone or anything. It is actually a PC racing game. It's a simulation game. I actually saw your setup a little bit. Uh, you had a pretty sweet uh, triple monitor setup at one point. Yeah, and later, later picked up the Oculus Rift DK2, which I still have up there, but I have some driver's issue with, uh, driver issues with rather, and uh, yeah, got to take it that one step further for the immersion aspect of what is already a, a pretty accurate racing driving game. Yeah, that was my first experience with VR. Actually, was your DK two? So thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no problem. And it's it was also fun because you get people who aren't gamers at all, like my dad or you know my father in law come over and sit in it. You know they know how to drive, and it's so realistic that they can actually go out there and experience that and not feel like they're not good enough to do something because they drive every day. It's something that comes natural to them. So it was kind of a cool gateway for me to get them into what I was into. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, they didn't have to have uh, the joystick skills. Right. They didn't have to be familiar with a controller or anything. Yeah, because, you know, you sit, you know, a motorhead, like someone who's, you know, baby, baby boomer generation in front of a console and you put this controller in their hands and that's completely alien to them and they go around the track and smash into a wall and they get frustrated with that easily yeah a lot of them not everyone but (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm not going to draw a line in the sand and say that you know older people can't play video games because that's absolutely not true correct (laughs) so this uh work that you were doing for the iRacing community it -hmm. actually sort of turned into a little bit of a side job uh not just involving that but uh, somehow you parlayed that into uh, work with Kunos? Yes, that, that was a completely organic transition uh, with the iRacing things. You know, I started off doing uh, request work. So someone, hey, you know, I want this. This is a real-life helmet. Can you put this on my helmet in game? Because a lot of the people that play that are, you know, actual race car drivers or, you know, weekend race car drivers, maybe not professionally also got into some painting competitions on their forums and got noticed that way. And I started putting up a lot of the work that I was doing on Facebook and sharing that out. I made a Facebook page, which we still use for some other things uh, because I'm not really doing that currently. And uh, one of the developers over at Kunos, which is a uh, company in Italy, Kunos Simulas. Simulazioni, I guess would be how you pronounce it. It's probably wrong, but better than my try. <laughs> yeah, one of them reached out to me. I had uh, I heard about the sim, and I really liked the graphics engine that the game was utilizing. Uh, it had some really good uh, spectral mapping and stuff that was a little more believable to look at than what was in iRacing. Although iRacing is a really good engine as well. I wanted to experiment with those, so I did some. I did a drift car uh, racing uh, pack. I think uh, they they uploaded one of their templates for the car. It was still in early access at the time, and I downloaded it and I started playing around with it. And I was 
you know, really excited about being able to do things that I couldn't do with the other sim, which was like, you know, putting custom tires. You know, I could put Dunlops on this if I want to, and I could do bump mapping. And to me, as an amateur artist, it felt more like a mod. I was, I was creating a mod because I wasn't just putting a skin on this thing. You know, I could actually put bump mapping on it, uh, etc. Um, so I put that up on the site, and it must have got noticed because one of them reached out to me and, you know, asked if I might be interested in working in the on the game in an official capacity. And, uh, of course, I jumped at the opportunity. Yeah. Did you know that this title was going to be more than just a PC game? At the time, I did not know. I had no idea. It wasn't until probably the game was out. Uh, I think it was still considered early access, but it they had already released, I think, a DLC or maybe two. And I had worked on several different packs of cars for the game that they announced on their website and I found out the same time everybody else did he had like a developer's kit for PlayStation 3 I think it was uh I thought wow you know if this actually gets on a console then you know my name will be on a game that's on a console game I thought that was pretty neat yes which did end up happening uh Seto Corsa is the name of the game it came out for the PC the PS4 and the Xbox One and it currently sits on Metacritic. I, I looked it up earlier, sitting at an eighty-five, which is nice. which is nice and strong. Yeah, so that will be my one and only entry on Metacritic, probably. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a gorgeous game. It really is. Um, it feels great too. I don't know if you know anybody out there listening has tried it, but the the tire model. I think the cars handle very believably, and it's the small things. The way the sun kind of reflects off of the windshield and the the grime that would be on the windshield and and stuff like that uh that i think really gives it a polished feel yeah i think if to be honest i feel like if the game would have came out like maybe a year or two prior to that it would have had a little less um competition because project cars and right uh, a few other big titles came out just around the same time but I, I think it would definitely stick out. I mean, it, it already does stick out as a very gorgeous game. I haven't personally tried any of the console versions, so I don't know if they're any different look and feel, you know. I do know they're a little bit different performing. I've seen uh, Digital Foundry and a couple of other people cover the actual performance of those games. Mm-hmm. And um, it's uh, definitely CPU heavy, the engine itself. And uh, the consoles are a little bit light in the CPU area. There's eight cores, but they're they're not super powerful. Their instructions per clock are, are a little bit lower, and the clock speeds themselves are a little lower. So there's a few performance issues here and there, but nothing major. And uh, I think the PS4 Pro's boost mode and the Xbox One S, uh, which both clock the CPU a little bit higher, take it closer to the PC range. But, so that might give it a performance boost there? Yes. For those people picking up that later version of the uh, revised console? Correct. Yep. Which is pretty cool. Yeah. It's always nice to get a little bonus out of spending a little extra money, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, in addition to uh, a lot of those cars um, working on that, which was a lot of fun. I actually learned how to 3D model through talking with the guys working on the project. Uh, one of the really talented 3D modelers... Uh, actually, a couple of them uh, who are all over the globe. Uh, I think one was in Thailand. The other one was in um, 
Ukraine, actually. Very, very talented guys helped me learn how to use 3D modeling. I think they were using 3D Studio Max, but I was using Blender. And the, the theories behind it are the same, though, to get a good mesh and how to to put that together properly and how to go about creating a model. So I did make my own, uh, which was another byproduct of having worked on that product, um, was that I've learned how to 3D model, which is also an interest of mine. I'm not amazing at it, but it's uh, something I enjoy doing. Yeah, you're definitely, yeah, I've seen your work and, and you are good at it. And the thing I was going to say, and I kind of sidetracked myself there with the 3D modeling bit, was that I didn't only work on some of the cars. Uh, they put... The Nürburgring, which is a legendary racetrack, ask anybody. <laughs> There's like graffiti all over the track in real life uh, because it's it's what 27 miles or something like that long, and people just get in there and you know spray paint on the on the road. I got to do a bunch of uh, graffiti. I got to recreate actual real world graffiti from when they drove around the track and took pictures of it. You know each section they took pictures of it so i got to recreate a bunch of that and it's in the game too so that's neat so none of your models made it into the game though is that right? uh no i i just was learning that to, you know as a own personal interest but it did never translate into the game itself yeah it's still pretty interesting uh so if anyone's playing the game and you happen to be on nerve ring some of that graffiti that you're flying over that's <laughs> that's tim's this guy not all of it uh a good chunk of it though i think i sent him i don't know how many megabytes worth of graffiti <laughs> use some cool tactics in gimp to make it look you know textured but you know they they have i'm sure the road in the game has actual texture that would you know shade those drawings but i tried to make them look distressed you know some of the stuff was really faded so i tried to bring that out in the recreations of that the best that I could. You also did a lot of the actual car paint jobs? I did a lot. I didn't do, I don't know that I've done a majority and they've, they've moved on with the project obviously after I've, I've moved away from it and they're still releasing things. So that percentage is going to continue to shrink. Uh, mm-hmm. But I did, you know, a lot of the, the Corvettes, the, the GTR. I did a lot of the old, IndyCar, and I got to do some really tricky ones. Uh, they did the Lotus. Um, I forget what it's called. The There's a Lotus. It's basically a track day car, but it looks like a Formula One car. And when Lotus released it, they actually had a tribute paint job on there that had basically all the Formula One greats names emblazoned in the paint job, and they were kind of ghosted in there. So it was a really tricky job to recreate that it was this light blue to dark blue fade on the actual car and then names like uh mickelson oh geez i can't even remember of them senna of course all those names are are on the car and uh i got to to recreate that to the best of my ability as accurately as possible i might have a uh, desktop screensaver of it somewhere maybe i can send you and you can put it in the links oh yeah definitely and kind of moving away from the art just a little bit, back into your music, you've recently sort of um, been reinvigorated, made a couple of uh, interesting tracks. Uh, <laughs> you'll actually hear some in this uh, podcast itself. Uh, under uh, Wolfman Muscleford, the Wolfman. <laughs> the Wolfman. Yeah, it's it's Stranger Things' fault probably. And this whole this whole eighties 
revival that's happening, I think, is is to blame. Yeah, all the heavy synth and it fits my writing style really well, I think. Um so and it's it's fun. So it's something that I enjoy sitting down and, and just hammering something out because all those sounds I think really tug at your heartstrings, your eighties vintage nostalgia. It just instantly triggers those memories, uh, much like Blood Dragon, which you introduced me to. Um, the the ridiculousness of that game, and the the sounds, and, and the look, and the the whole themes behind it. A little bit of a Kung Fury feel to it. Oh yeah, love it. <laughs> yeah. Well, the funny thing about about that '80s coming back, the. the the sound itself, uh, I've definitely noticed there's a lot more of it out there. And uh, the most public, definitely for me, um, was Stranger Things, having that beat. Oh, the intro was so, it grabbed you. It it yeah. really just it got its hooked in. You knew when you were hearing that intro that you were about to be in for an awesome experience. At least, <laughs> at least that's how I felt. Every time, every episode, that that intro theme came in. The font looked very Stephen King, who obviously I think kind of also fits that frame of reference because oh, definitely, know, definitely, Pet Cemetery and you know it, and all these great horror flicks from that same time. That, Night you know, Shift and Needful Things. Yes, <laughs> yes, all that. Yeah, it's good stuff. Um, one other actual. Um, show that that used that same theme as a uh, halt and catch fire have you heard of that before i did watch some of those i need to um need to go back and listen to that especially now that i'm doing this new project because you know i want to hear as many different you know variations of that style of music you know both for inspiration and just to make sure that what i'm doing is going to hold true to that era but uh but no i'll have to go back and listen to that yeah, definitely do. It's 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 good. It's definitely an interesting show. When does that take place? It's during the eighties. Uh, it takes place early eighties. Uh, I think it's on season three right now, and I think they're at the late eighties, early nineties, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, the first couple seasons, at least, are like late seventies, early eighties, throughout the eighties. So it's good yeah. stuff. Cool. So. If you guys uh, want to hear more of uh, Wolfman Musselford, you uh, can definitely do so on SoundCloud. Yes, uh, soundcloud.com forward slash Wolfman Musselford. All one M- word? M-U-S-C-L-E-F-O-R-D, yeah. You can blame Sean for that name. I stole it. <laughs> That'd be Sean Piper from uh, NerdLife TX. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I thought that was great, and I feel like it, it needed to be emblazoned on something forever, I guess. <laughs> This kind of brings us uh, to another section where I kind of like to get people to know you a little bit better. Okay. Uh, I've got a few questions lined up for you, so let's get to it. Question one. What was the one game that had you hooked? Uh, the first Mario Kart, Super Mario Kart. For sure. Really? Yeah, I bought it before I even had a Super Nintendo to play it on. But I knew my cousins had one, so I forced them to play it with me all the time. Until I bought <laughs> my awesome. own Super Nintendo, yeah. I remember going over to a friend, I was probably in junior high, maybe not even in junior high yet, what was that, 92? Probably around that time, Some yeah. there, yeah, so I was like 12, and I 
went to you know sleep over at a friend's who had it and i don't know if i slept at all because you know i loved racing games and it had this whole you know the battle mode and the the co-op slash versus it's like in the same thing like you're both racing two player you're you can either screw each other over or work together to try and you know beat the the computer i don't know i just I, I couldn't stop i couldn't put it down for years i actually still love that game i loved it so much in fact that i that i drew up you know specs for the second one and sent them to nintendo i still have it in a dresser <laughs> drawer somewhere at my mom's house that they were like oh yeah we're we're not gonna do that uh we can't take whatever recommendations from customers but thanks and blah blah blah. so it's an official nintendo envelope oh they reply back on the reply back they did they wrote me back oh, which i thought awesome. was cool i don't i don't even know where i sent it to i mean i was 12 i must have pulled an address somewhere but yeah i bundled it off my parents probably helped me or something but uh yeah sent them so i still claim to this day that you know mario kart 64 that was me that was all me (laughs) i invented mario kart 64 because the elevation changes i said that was in there i pull the documentation it's got a date on it Uh, i'll see if i can find that somewhere That's it. His claim to fame right there. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Nintendo. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> uh, what was the first game that you beat on your own? Life Force, but only because of the 99 lives. Oh, the Konami code? Yeah, the same. Yeah, Konami code, the same as Contra, whatever. Yeah, but Life Force beat several times over. Uh, maybe Doom on the PC because of God mode. But games <laughs> were hard back then, you know? See, oh, yeah, yeah. Final Fantasy VII probably legitimately was the first one that I beat all the way, except for I got to Sephiroth, and I beat him, and then he turns into, what, Angel Sephiroth or something Oh, like yeah, that. yeah. And I lost, and I gave up. I figured I got close <laughs> enough. I don't know if that counts. But, you needed uh, to figure out Knights of the Round. So you take them I did, Knights. I had Knights of the Round. Maybe it wasn't leveled up enough. And that spell took forever to cast. (laughs) Yeah, and for you kids that are uh, not old enough to remember for Doom, it's uh, IDDQD. IDDQD for what, God Mode? Yep. Yeah. IDKFA was all the keys and all weapons. Yeah. IDKFA. (laughs) How do you remember that? I have a facility. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's amazing. I can't believe I was allowed to play Doom. It was pretty pretty dark come to think of it i don't know maybe they didn't know what it was like there's this thing we wanted and we played it in the room and they never came in the room because it's like there's pentagrams and demons and <laughs> blood and we were at, yeah my aunt's house who i would think like would be not okay with any of this yeah. going on <laughs> but yeah we did definitely it. i did i actually had a pirated version so i don't even know if my parents knew we owned a copy <laughs> <laughs> so oh well, you know, well, that's on the internet forever now. So Yes. I mean, I had a borrowed copy. <laughs> you mean you borrowed it from a friend, yeah. Yes, I did borrow it from a friend. And it was returned the moment I trashed that machine, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> one other question, I guess. Uh, what is one of your favorite things about geek culture? Probably the overarching thing I like about geek culture is that it intrinsically doesn't take itself too seriously. It's okay to be a 40-year-old man or whatever with a super fancy, expensive D&D table, you know, like Will Wheaton or whatever. Definitely. It's almost like the whole geek culture screams that it doesn't care what anybody else thinks about it. And I think that's kind of cool. Maybe it's passive-aggressive. I'm not sure. 
but I like that. I like your. There's answer. a lot of passion there, though. You know, for for whatever it is, um, people like. You know, they get into and they're not afraid to let other people know that they're into it. So, what is your favorite game of all time? Favorite game of all time, World of Warcraft, vanilla. Vanilla WoW. Vanilla WoW, with all of its faults. <laughs> yes, it's the shared experience of it. I'm playing it again. I played it originally, you know, all the way through and all the way up, and I've been on and off subscriber to the current version. Oh, wait a second. According to Blizzard, you don't really want that. I've heard that, but I don't think they know what I want. I don't know that they know what they want. I think that they want to sell more subscriptions to people that, you know, can play an easy game. It was not what it used to be. It might have been easier than EverQuest at the time, but I think that was just because the mechanics were better. Not because it was setting out to be easy, because it wasn't. It was it was more difficult. I think it's just the evolution of the engine. You know, some things were were there that kind of made the game a little bit easier yeah. uh, than than EverQuest because they were less clunky. But yeah, yeah definitely definitely going back and playing um, older versions of WoW is an interesting experience. Uh, not that we would encourage anyone doing that, but. Right. If you were to find yourself on the web <laughs> and you happen to find yourself a copy and uh, figure out how to get that set up, it's not a bad experience. Right. And I think I have to answer that way because for the sheer number of hours that I've sunk into it, both when it was what it was and now, you know, we're revisiting it on some servers, places. It's <laughs> that speaks to itself. The, I enjoy the group experience and I have a lot of friends and my wife plays with me and it's something that we enjoy doing together. I think a close second would have to be MechWarrior 4 Mercenaries. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Those games are awesome. They I'm are. definitely a mech fan myself. And to to a greater extent, the Dave and Buster's version where you're actually sitting in a pod, you know, with the whole the whole party of people. Oh, they don't have it anymore, but it was awesome. Yeah, I'm really sad that I missed out on that. One of my first experiences with PC gaming as far as uh, something that blew me away, something that wasn't like a point-and-click adventure, like a Leisure Suit Larry or a Police Quest, yeah. was Mech Warrior 2. And it had such a great impact on me just because of that. You know, the, the CD soundtrack, you know, you've got this music going on, and, you know, they come in and they tell you, you know, ambient temperature is you know they get the voiceover for the for the computer and uh, it's all the stuff that they didn't have to bother putting in there that they took the time to do and put in there that made you feel like you were the mech warrior exactly and that that these pixels mattered (laughs) (laughs) and it was some primitive 3d but man I, i had to have spent oh boy probably had to spend at least twelve hundred dollars on uh various different video cards just trying to get a better looking MechWarrior 2 experience. That is amazing. <laughs> so, as a testament of how much that game actually meant to me. So I have a question for you. Which which video card was the best? You know, I really enjoyed my Matrox Mystique 220. It didn't clean up the edges as much as my Voodoo did. Uh, the Voodoo was definitely the most... You know, the textures didn't shimmer or anything of that nature. It did a good job of kind of blending them and everything. But the Mystique 220 um, just had really high quality textures and i think that whoever was making the game at the time i know it's a fossa game but i can't remember who actually made the video game i know four was microsoft but right it's before microsoft bought the license um activision published it i can't remember offhand but whoever did took the time to really make it look impressive on the mystique 220 
And if by some serendipity uh, the developers <laughs> are listening to this podcast, thank you much. Yes. <laughs> so, the Matrox. Matrox Mystique. How much point. video RAM? Four. Four meg. Wow. Four megabytes, wow. yes. It was expandable. You could actually buy an, a RAM expansion for the video card itself to yeah. make it an eight megabyte. Did you have to yeah, solder they, that on or what? No. No, it actually had a, like a GPIO type header. That you would just plug right in. Good to go. Nice. This was slower RAM back then. You gotta remember, we're talking like, I don't know, 66 megahertz RAM or something. So. This is before my computer days at all. <laughs> all alien to me. It was very impressive. Um, the Voodoo version was good. I did enjoy, I enjoyed the Voodoo version. It also had 4 mega video RAM. But uh, they just did such a good job. They, they added a lot of texture filtering effects and... Um, it ran at a little bit higher resolution, really high frame rate. It made the game feel a lot more solid. So was that even PCI? Yeah, they were PCI at the time. Both of those cards are PCI cards. But that was like the new thing, right? Uh, yeah, not too, not too far removed from that. Because the first system that I actually played uh, MechWarrior 2 on was the uh, it was a 486 DX266, and the video card on that was a. Uh, I think an ATI Mach 64, which was a VESA local bus, which is like an extended 16-bit bus. So it's <laughs> not like card. ISA? Uh, Post-ISA. It was like it was like the jump between ISA and PCI. It's the thing that didn't catch on, so nobody knows what it is. He was there for like a minute, and uh, mainly, to my understanding, uh, there were just video cards that took advantage of that bus. Duke Nukem ran really good on it. <laughs> not that that mattered. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah just back in the day <laughs> uh, give us a duke quote now that you mentioned it you face your ass what's the difference <laughs> <laughs> i'm not very good at the duke quotes uh i do have a friend though could he could nail it uh it's my friend bill i'll have to have him on at one point <laughs> you should but it'll happen i guess the last question that i have actually is kind of open-ended a little bit as far as uh my definition of a console but right. what is your favorite console of all time? And I'm not just going to limit it to console. If you want to say that the PC is yours, that's fine. Yeah, I mean, I'd have to go with the PC. I've done bulk of my gaming and, and work in general on games or uh, about games or is on the PC. And I feel like it's just that's what the other systems are. At least the new ones are basically pcs with restricted you know these are the guidelines to make this thing but i think they're basically computers now anyway yeah for the most part that's true obviously the nes is very important to the history of my gaming and you know i wouldn't be anything if it weren't for mega man 2 but oh hell yeah <laughs> but you know i think at least in my adult life the pc's been it but even in my younger life i remember obviously doom that i talked about earlier uh, there was some indie car game i think i remember playing in middle school that was before i think it was even pre-windows i think we booted into it from dos and it was some indie car racing game it was ridiculously hard but i had so much fun with those i don't know why i've always gravitated towards the pc maybe it was the performance you know, because always, always has an edge over whatever the box in the living room had at the time. Well, yeah, those are static, and then with the PC, if you don't like the performance, wait a month and upgrade, yeah, right? <laughs> exactly. Plus, I guess uh answer makes sense to uh, for you, 
because I know that you're a bit of a gearhead yourself. PC Master Race, the short answer. But uh, yeah, you. I mean, I know you like you're into cars and performance with cars. That's why you like car games and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, yeah, PC Master Race. I can understand. It does translate over into electronics, and but for, you know, it's not. I've got a Wii U sitting there. I've got an Xbox 360. I got a PS3. I love playing those things with my son. I've got the Retron. You know, I love it. Um, the Retron's amazing. So I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to have to choose one over the other. But if I had to, PC. Good answer. <laughs> All right. All right. Well. Uh, is there anything that you'd like to plug? Well, you know, go listen to my tracks, uh, soundcloud.com forward slash Wolfman Muscleford, spelled just like it sounds. Working on finishing that album. Hopefully the cover art that I'm working on will go over well. I'm going to let it be a surprise, but there's some there's some placeholder stuff up there that's kind of lends itself to the whole 80s vibe, but I want to do something kind of over the top for the cover. So that's another project I'm working on. It goes with goes with the music. You've seen a little bit of it. I can't wait for you guys to see it. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tim, MacTC7, thank you very much for stopping by. Well, thank you for having me. <laughs> Everyone else, thank you all for stopping by. And look for more to come. This has been Gamer Stories. 